0: Please stand by, your conference is ready to begin. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Air Canada second quarter 2021 conference call. I would now like to turn the meeting over to Valérie Durand, please go ahead, Ms. Durand.
1: Thank you, Maud. Bonjour et bienvenue à notre deuxième revue trimestrielle de 2021. Welcome and thank you for joining us on our second quarter call. (coughs) With me this morning are Michael Russo, our President and Chief Executive Officer. Amos Kazaz, our Executive Vice President and Chief Financial Officer, Lucy Guillemette, our Executive Vice President and Chief Commercial Officer, and Craig Laundrie, our Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer. On today's call, Mike will begin by providing an overview of the quarter and the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on our positioning for recovery. Lucy will touch on travel demand, our network, aeroplan, and cargo. Amos will provide additional details on our costs, liquidity and financial performance before turning it back to Mike. We will then open the call for questions from equity analysts, followed by questions from fixed income analysts. Before we get started, please note that certain statements made on this call are forward-looking within the meaning of applicable securities laws. This call also includes references to non-GAAP measures, Please refer to our second quarter press release and our management discussion and analysis for important infor- important assumptions and cautionary statements relating to forward-looking information and reconciliations of non-GAAP measures to GAAP results. That said, securities laws do not prevent us from unreservedly cheering and wishing all our athletes the best as they reach their personal goals while representing us proudly in the Olympics and Paralympics that will unfold in Tokyo starting today in the upcoming weeks. Their own journeys and resilience in preparing for these games during, these pand- during the pandemic are an inspiration to all Canadians. Go Canada, go. I will now turn it over to Mike.
2: Oh, Thank you Valerie and good morning to everyone and thank you for joining us on our second quarter earnings call. For Air Canada and the global airline industry generally, the COVID-19 pandemic contributed, continued to weigh heavily on second quarter performance. Our employees, as they always have done, focused on taking care of our customers while carrying them safely to their destinations and on the prudent and very strong management of our company. I thank them for their dedication, their creativity and professionalism in this very challenging and complex environment. Although overall bookings remain below pre-pandemic levels, customers are returning. In June, we began to see a significant increase in bookings, the result of, our announce- of the announcement eliminating the quarantine period for fully vaccinated returning Canadians and the removal of other travel restrictions. We are seeing steadily increasing bookings for the domestic, trans-border, and Atlantic markets and to sun destinations for the coming winter. In fact, for the next winter sun travel, future bookings during some weeks in June were ahead of the same period in 2019, that hard-to-remember time before COVID-19. We are certainly pleased to see vaccination rates increasing and more recent announcements of the soon easing of travel restrictions in Canada. We can now optimistically say that we are turning a corner and we expect to soon see correlated financial improvements. We are excited and ready to welcome back our valued customers in greater numbers and to introduce them to the many improvements we have made to enhance the travel journey. Going back to our results, today we reported second quarter negative EBITDA, 665 million compared to negative 832 million in the same quarter of last year. On a gap basis, we recorded an operating loss of 1.133 billion, Compared to an operating loss of 1.55 billion last year, our net cash burn amounted to 745 million in the quarter, or about 8 million per day on average, significantly lower than previously projected 13 to 15 million. We attribute this to increased bookings and our continuing effective cost controls. The upward trend in advanced ticket sales has continued into the current quarter. We had nearly $9.8 billion in unrestricted liquidity at the quarter's end, including the funds available under the credit facilities with the Government of Canada. We have said we view the general purpose government facilities as an insurance policy, and this remains the case. Air Canada has more than adequate resources to compete effectively and manage through the end of the pandemic. We are now looking beyond COVID-19 and taking steps to ensure we are well positioned, to seize the many opportunities we see before us in the emerging post-pandemic landscape. The skills of our highly talented, professional and committed employees have helped us carry us through the pandemic. Looking ahead with them, I am fully confident that Air Canada will rebuild stronger and rise higher than ever before. Thank you and now I'll turn the call over to Lucy. Yes,
3: Mike and good morning everyone. I'd like to begin by thanking our customers for their steadfast loyalty and confidence in our airline throughout the pandemic. As well, thank you to the people of Air Canada who work tirelessly to ensure we are well positioned as travel returns. We achieved passenger revenues of 426 million in a quarter, an increase of 219 million, or more than double compared to the second quarter of 2020, which was the first full quarter to be impacted by the pandemic. We operated 78% more capacity than the second quarter in 2020 and 86% less when compared to the second quarter of 2019. Looking ahead to seize the momentum in bookings due to the easing of travel restrictions, we plan to operate approximately 85% more capacity in the third quarter than we operated in the same quarter of 2020. This represents a decrease of about 65% compared to the third quarter of 2019. As we have done since the onset of the pandemic, we will continue to dynamically adjust capacity as the situation evolves to ensure we meet demand. As we transition into a period of significant recovery, many of our initial assumptions on the rebuild are coming to fruition. First, our domestic recovery led the way. In August, our domestic capacity will be roughly two-thirds of what it was in 2019 as we witness demand growth throughout the country, especially in our transcontinental services. Furthermore, we are proud to retain our position as Canada's largest domestic airline as we resume service to 50 Canadian cities and communities from coast to coast this summer. Although the current demand is largely for leisure and visiting friends and relatives, based on feedback from our corporate partners, we believe that the fall period will feature the progressive return of corporate demand. We are encouraged by some of the commentary from our peers in the United States with regards to overall business travel recovery. We have also dramatically increased our capacity to the U.S. over the summer, which includes 55 routes and 34 destinations, with up to 220 daily flights between the U.S. and Canada. The new schedule coincides with the easing of Canadian travel restrictions between the two countries as of August 9th, including the removal of hotel quarantine requirements for all travelers, relaxed testing requirements for Canadians traveling to the U.S. for less than 72 hours, and allowing fully vaccinated citizens and permanent residents of the U.S. to enter Canada for non-essential travel, among other measures. We will continue to ramp up our operations to the United States, which has been significantly scaled back from the 57 city we served pre-pandemic. Rebuilding our U.S. operation and restoring our position as the largest foreign carrier operating to the United States is key to our recovery. This will also expedite the rebuild of our international long haul op- operations as we seek to achieve or exceed our fair share of the U.S. long haul global market. Looking further ahead, we are seeing strong demand from Canadian leisure travelers to the U.S., primarily to markets such as California, Florida, New York City, Hawaii and the various United Airlines hubs we serve with many of these markets on pace with the 2019 level. Turning to our international markets, following the government's recent announcement, we look forward to welcoming customers from around the world back on board once Canadian travel restrictions on foreign nationals begin to ease as of September 7th. On our transatlantic services, we are seeing demand growth in several leisure markets such as France, Italy, and Greece, In addition to large VFR markets such as Egypt, Morocco, and the Indian subcontinent, served through our Toronto to Doha route. Our service to the hubs of our joint venture partner, the Lufthansa Group, is exceeding our expectations. We were unable to serve India during the quarter, but look forward to returning as soon as possible. India remains a key area of focus in our network, and we continue to be bullish on the long-term growth prospects of this market. Overall, recovery on the Atlantic will be quicker than other parts of our long-haul network, given a combination of high vaccination rates, strong cultural and business ties between Canada and Europe, in addition to strong leisure demand interest from Canadians. We are already observing healthy demand signals for Europe into 2022. Looking to the Pacific market, the outlook remains uncertain as significant restrictions are still in place in many of the key markets we serve. We continue to monitor the markets and adjust our strategy accordingly. When looking to the sun markets, we are very optimistic about our recovery. As we look to Q4 2021 and Q1 of 2022, we are currently observing demand growth that is above 2019 levels with a corresponding strong yield environment. Led by the strong performance of our Air Canada Vacations Group, we anticipate operating near 2019 levels in this geography by the midpoint of winter, 21-22. 21-22. Should demand trends continue, we will evaluate, redeploying capacity from other parts of our network to serve this demand. As we've previously mentioned, the recovery will initially be led by demand recovery in leisure and BFR market segments. We continue to believe that Air Canada is better positioned than our peers to profitably capture these segments given our investments in fleet, Air Canada Rouge, and our overall advantage in onboard seating density versus our peers. Touching on Air performance in the second quarter. Growth billings from points sold are up nearly 40% year-over-year, demonstrating solid member engagement. This represents a decrease when compared to 2019, due primarily to a reduction in points from air and hotel partnerships. However, growth billings related to our credit card and retail partnerships have held up during the pandemic and are tracking well toward the full recovery. In fact, average spend on co-brand cards was down only 7% when compared to the second quarter of 2019, despite widespread lockdowns and lower spend on travel and entertainment during the quarter. Co-brand card acquisition is gaining momentum, with attractive welcome bonuses in the Canadian market offered by our banking partners. We've already acquired more American Express aeroplan card members so far this year versus full year 2019 or 2020. Card retention rates continue to be in line with the historical norms. Point volumes converted to Aeroplan from ranked propriety credit card programs have seen an important lift in the second quarter as members transfer their backlog of points into other programs for Aeroplan to redeem for travel. We expect this growth to continue as travel rebounds and we will also add a significant new partner in the third quarter when Chase's ultimate reward begins to offer an Aeroplan transi- transfer option. Solid redemption recovery is another sign of continued program health and returning member engagement. In June, members redeemed points for air travel at 92% of the rate they did in June 2019, despite major geographies and popular airline destinations such as Asia and the South Pacific still being substantially closed for travel. Interestingly, members are redeeming for proportionally more premium cabin tickets than in the prior program, This customer shift towards premium cabin redemption further increases Aeroplan's competitiveness in the Canadian market. We're uniquely positioned to offer the most competitive premium travel redemptions in Canada as our domestic competitors offer far fewer premium options. As noted premium travel, during the quarter, Aeroplan launched a unique partnership with Rocky Mountaineer offering points, earnings, redemption and benefits for our elite and co-brand members. Importantly, the second quarter saw an increase in member enrollment, driven by both the return to travel as well as our new partnership with Starbucks, which continues to outperform Targets. Building off this success, we expect to announce several new aeroplan partnerships, which will expand the program's relevance to the interest traveler travel, as well as reinforce its lead in the travel space. Turning to our cargo results, we achieved a record $358 million in cargo revenue for the second quarter which represented an increase of 89 million, or 33%, compared to the same quarter in 2020, and 181 million, over 102%, over the same quarter in 2019. Prior to the pandemic, our cargo network had been enhanced by the growth of our wide-body fleet, including delivery of the Boeing 787, as well as several Airbus A330s. The pandemic has accelerated the expansion of our cargo business, with the movement of critical goods as well as the growth of e-commerce. This fall we are adding an additional layer with two Boeing 767 fully dedicated freighters that will enter into service. Given the low cost of ownership of the Boeing 767s recently retired from our passenger fleet, as well as the low cost to convert the aircraft to freighter and cargo infrastructure, we look forward to expanding this program to 8 aircraft in the next couple of years. We recently announced the international routes the freighters will be operating, linking Toronto to Miami, Quito, Lima, Mexico City, and Guadalajara. Additional destinations to be served in early 2022 include Halifax, St. John's, Madrid, and Frankfurt as more freighters enter service. This business represents an opportunity to continue building on the success of our cargo and flight, and is an important part of our recovery, revenue diversification, and long-term growth. As we have since the onset of the pandemic, we continue to show industry leadership in our safety-first mindset through our Clean Care Plus program across the customer journey. To meet growing demand at our hub airports, we have now reopened four of our Maple Leaf lounges with our domestic lounge at Montreal reopening in June. And given the positive booking and travel trends, we plan on opening an additional ten of our lounges in the third quarter. The lounge experience in Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver, and Calgary is complemented by enhanced safety measures highlighted by contactless entry and mobile ordering available to facilitate delivery of complimentary food and beverage directly to our customers' table. In addition, on board our Boeing 737 MAX aircraft, we introduced our bistro on-demand service on select flights that allows our customers to order food and beverage items directly from their seats using the in-flight entertainment system. We look forward to expanding digital ordering in the future. To close, we have been relentlessly preparing for the recovery, always with our customers top of mind, and we are so thrilled to welcome them back on board. Our airline has become stronger, more resilient, and with the foundational elements we have in place, as well as key investments made in product, fleet, innovations, and customer experience, we are well positioned to retain our leadership position as the top airline within Canada and as a top airline globally. With that, I will pass it on to Banks. Thanks, Lucy, and bonjour. Good morning, everyone. I will begin by reviewing
4: our costs. Operating expenses were well controlled in the quarter. On a year over year capacity increase of 78%, operating expenses decreased 112 million, or 5%, from the second quarter of 2020. Recall that in the second quarter of last year, Air Canada recorded a charge of $236 million under special items due to measures taken in response to the COVID 19 pandemic. Turning to major expense categories in the quarter, fuel expense increased $115 or 93% from the second quarter. This is due to the higher volume of fuel liters consume because of an increased volume of flying year over year. In addition, the impact of a 32% increase in fuel cost per liter. Accounted for a variance of 56 million when compared to the second quarter of last year. That is a net favorable, that is net of a favorable foreign exchange variance due to the strengthening of the Canadian dollar year over year. Keep in mind that the Canadian dollar usually strengthens when oil prices increase, which partially reduces our exposure to fuel price. Wages, salaries, and benefits increased 33 million or 7% in the second quarter. Compared to the second quarter of 2020, wages and salaries increased 44 million, or 14%, primarily on higher average salaries. This is because the layoffs completed in June of 2020 led to a change of employee mix and years of service. With higher levels of flying, when compared to the second quarter of last year, regional airlines' expense, excluding fuel, increased 21 million, or 12%. Appreciation and amortization expense in the second quarter was $404 million, a decline of $83 million, or 17% from the same period last year. This reflects the accelerated retirement of certain older aircraft from our fleet, and the decline was partially offset by the addition of five fuel-efficient Airbus A220-300s. Our fleet reduction also played a part in the decline by $54 million, or 30%, in aircraft maintenance expense. From the second quarter. Also contributing to the year over year decline was a reduction in maintenance provisions resulting from updated end of lease cost, M- cost estimates and a favorable currency impact. We recorded special items amounting to a net operating expense of $73 million, driven by $157 million related to the early retirement incentive programs and by $68 million from benefit plan amendments. These pension amendments will not impact our liquidity position as the amendments are funded from the surplus of the pension plans. The charges were partially offset by a net benefit of $158 million related to the Canada Emergency Wage Subsidy Program or CUES. We plan to continue to participate in this program, which has been extended to September 2021. Despite the decline in capacity compared to 2019 levels, We have managed to maintain approximately 50% of our workforce in part due to queues and are currently recalling employees to support our summer schedule. Turning to liquidity, since the onset of the pandemic, we have taken measures required to stabilize operations and to be prepared for the recovery process. One of these critical measures has been raising liquidity to provide us with more flexibility to meet future challenges and better compete in the recovery phase and in the post pandemic marketplace. Since march twenty twenty, we have raised significant liquidity, reinforcing what is even at the time one of the strongest balance sheets relative to our size in the global airline industry. One year later, at the end of march twenty twenty one, unrestricted liquidity amounted to nearly six point six billion. In April, we substantially increased our available liquidity through a series of debt and equity financing agreements with the Government of Canada. In addition to gross proceeds of $500 million from an equity investment, under this financial package, we have access, if needed, to close to $4 billion in additional liquidity through repayable credit facilities. There is also a separate $1.4 billion government credit facility to support the payment of refunds to customers who did not travel due to COVID 19 and were holding non refundable tickets. On June 10, 2021, we extended the deadline for customers to seek a refund to July 12 of this year. As of June 30, we had refunded $997 million to eligible customers. It is projected that about an additional $200 million in refunds will be paid during the, quarter of the third quarter of 2021 to finalizing the processing of the COVID-19 refund claims, all of which will be eligible for draws under the Refund Credit Facility. At the end of the second quarter, $858 million in proceeds have been drawn under this Refund Credit Facility, which matures in 2028 and carries an interest rate of about 1.2%. In addition to this, over the quarter, we received proceeds of $180 million in aircraft financing, related to delivery of five Airbus A220-300s, and on April 15, 2021, we repaid US $400 million of the quarter percent senior unsecured notes upon maturity. At the end of the quarter, unrestricted liquidity was $9,775,000,000. On Monday, we launched a refinancing transaction of our term loan B and completed the syndication of a new senior secure revolving facility. With these, we will be, seek, we'll be seeking total gross proceeds of US $5.35 billion, subject to market and other conditions. The proceeds of the term loan B are intended to one, fund the refinancing of the 200 million principal amount of our four and three-quarter senior secured notes due 2023, and the 840 million principal amount of our 9% second lien notes due 2024. Two fund the refinancing of the indebtedness under the loan agreement dated October 6, 2016, comprised of a syndicated secured U.S. dollar term loan B facility of U.S. $578 million and a syndicated secured U.S. dollar revolving credit facility of U.S. $600 million and three, provide working capital and other general corporate purposes for Air Canada and its subsidiaries. The refinancing transaction is a significant step in our efforts to continue to improve our liquidity and reduce our overall financial risk by upsizing and pushing out the maturity of the existing term loan B and senior secured notes to provide more runway as we go through the recovery period. Current market conditions are favorable for Air Canada to launch this type of transaction. To the obvious question of whether we will now opt out of the government's financing facilities it's a decision we will make later in this year as we gain more line of sight on the recovery. Subject to market and other conditions, this financing will also unencumber some assets tied to the ter- current term loan B and increase our unencumbered asset pool by about $700 million for a total of $2.2 billion to support other financings should this be required. This pool excludes the value of Aeroplan, Air Canada Vacations, and Air Canada Cargo. Moving on to cash burn, in the second quarter of 2021, our net cash burn was 745 million, or at about an average of 8 million per day, better than it was previously communicated. Driving the improvement in cash burn was EBITDA, working capital, and capex. EBITDA was better than expected, mainly due to continued strong cost control and the rapid adjustments of capacity we made to adjust to market demand. Working capital improved due to stronger advanced ticket sales and forecasts and ongoing management of trade receivables and other working capital items. Capital expenditures were lower than forecast, in part due to the strengthening of the Canadian dollar. Together, EBITDA, working capital and CapEx, contributed $5 million to the favorable variance. In June, we were encouraged by the strong rebound of advanced ticket sales following earlier announcements on the easing of certain travel restrictions, our updated schedule, and other, service, and other recent service announcements looking at the end of the third quarter, looking ahead at the third quarter, in light of the most recent border announcements made by the government of Canada, we estimate net cash burn to be between 280 million and 460 million, an average of 3 to 5 million per day. For the third quarter, the net cash burn projection includes 2 million per day in capex, net of financing, and 4 million per day in lease and debt service costs. It also continues to exclude the remaining amount of eligible refunds of non-refundable fares being processed, pursuing to the change in refund policy announced on April 12. I must say it feels great to be delivering this guidance today. We are encouraged and excited we look ahead to brighter skies. As we begin to look ahead with optimism, please allow me to pause here for a moment to recognize the boundless efforts and tenacity of our employees. I admire them for their professionalism and commitment and for a commendable ability, repeatedly, to to overcome often cascading challenges. To conclude, I look forward to continuing and further developing the transparent and positive relationship we have with the financial community. I am eager for our future conversations, as well as our next investor day expected in early 2022 We can better showcase with the actions we have already taken and the plans and targets we will be implementing to further strengthen our company. I will now turn it back over to Mike. Thank you, Amos. Throughout the quarter, we continue to make progress on
2: rebuilding our business, preparing for the return of travel, and pursuing new initiatives to further ensure we succeed in what will be a highly competitive environment. Most visibly, we have begun reestablishing our global network by announcing new strategic routes and restoring suspended services. In support of the summer schedule, we recalled approximately 2,900 employees for June and July. A key competitive attribute is customer service. Throughout the pandemic, our primary focus has been on the safety of our customers and employees, and this will continue. Many of our COVID-19 innovations will become permanent because they are also designed to enhance the travel experience. Include the new mobile solutions so that customers can obtain pre-approval for health documents before arriving at the airport. We have introduced many touchless features at check-in, baggage drop, and in our lounges. And we will look to expand the use of facial recognition biometrics for boarding after a successful test in San Francisco. Lucy touched on Bistro, and we are developing new onboard features. These and other planned technological innovations will make the travel experience, particularly at the airport, safer, more convenient, and quicker for all customers. Another important initiative is our transformed Aeroplan loyalty program. In addition to the program's compelling new attributes, we continue to enrich it through powerful partnerships to give members more ways to collect points and redeem for rewards. We've always regarded Aeroplan as a key differentiator of Air Canada, setting it apart from domestic and international competitors. The ongoing improvements we are bringing to our industry leading loyalty program will amplify this as well. We are also very pleased by the performance and future prospects of Air Canada Cargo, which recently operated its 10,000th all cargo flight. Our dedicated freighters, which are Our converted aircraft retiring from our passenger fleet will allow Air Canada Cargo to provide consistent capacity on key air cargo routes and facilitate the movement of goods globally. Even while dealing with the pandemic, we kept our eyes on the horizon and worked on other other elements crucial to the long-term success of our business. Notably, our commitment to sustainability has been unwavering. In March, we set an ambitious goal of achieving net-zero emissions by 2050. Essential to achieving this is the renewal of our fleet, which we progressed significantly by accelerating the retirement of certain older aircraft from the fleet at the outset of the pandemic. This continues today with the narrow-body program. During the quarter, we took delivery of five more Airbus 220 aircraft, and we expect three more to be delivered in 2021, along with another three Boeing 737 MAX aircraft. These aircraft types are much more fuel-efficient than the older aircraft they replace and offer customers a greater level of comfort. We continue to work on other initiatives during the quarter as well. This included entering into an agreement with Edmonton International Airport to reduce carbon emissions, shipping critical COVID-19 medical supplies to India, and celebrating the 15th anniversary of our Aeroplan member donation program. Since its inception, over 1.3 billion points have been donated by Aeroplan members in support of more than 1,400 causes. Air Canada and its employees are proud be part of initiatives such as these, which are also important to investors, customers, and other stakeholders. Updated information on our commitments and programs will soon be shared when we release our 2020 edition of the Citizens of the World, our annual corporate sustainability report. As I said at the beginning of the call, indications are that the worst effects of the COVID-19 pandemic may now be behind us. Based on what we are seeing in other markets that are further along and reopening in Canada, we anticipate travel will resume at a quickening pace. However, as we have historically done, we will continue to manage both our cost structure and our balance sheet very conservatively. Already, we are seeing green shoots of recovery. Bookings are accelerating, and our own customer surveys indicate a strengthening of intent to travel within the coming months. We expect the most recent announcements of the Government of Canada relaxing existing measures will further help strengthen the interests of our customers in flying again. Air Canada is well prepared from a financial, customer service, and operational standpoint to ramp up our business, to meet the returning travel demand, and welcome our customers back. In short, we are well positioned to emerge strongly into the post-pandemic world. Thank you, and I guess we're ready now for questions.
0: Thank you. We will not take questions from the telephone lines. If you have a question and you are using a speakerphone, please lift your handset before making your selection. If you have a question, please press star one on your device's keypad. You may cancel your question at any time by pressing star two. Please press star one at this time if you have a question. There will be a brief pause while participants register for questions. We thank you for your patience. Our first question is from Konark Gupta. Scotia Bank, please go ahead.
5: Thanks and uh, good morning everyone. Um, so maybe my first question uh, aim is on on cash burn guidance for q three um, so it seems like cap tax lease and debt service payments uh, they account for six million per day of cash burn and then your guidance uh, for cash burn is three to five. Uh, so I'm curious, uh, what's the offset coming from? I mean, w- what kind of assumptions are you making about uh, operations and working capital? Thank you.
4: Uh, good morning, Konark. Uh Good question. So really, the the difference uh, is coming from positive cash uh, from operations, and also in the debt service cost, the interest uh, cost is also included. So when you consider these items, uh, these couple of factors there, that brings you into the three to five million dollar. Uh,
5: average per day cash per. Okay, thanks for that. Um and then secondly, if I can ask about uh, maybe it's more for Lucy uh, and I don't know Mike if you want to take it as well. Uh yield. Um so how like you talked about new bookings uh, coming in and this different markets talked about right like especially some uh, you know Atlantic uh transporter domestic etc. Um how does the kind of pricing or the fares uh, trending on these new bookings as you compare them to uh, the existing bookings uh, that were made before COVID for future travel?
3: Hi, it's, um, it's Lucy. Um, maybe let me just um, give you a little bit of, of uh, comparison here because there's a, a couple of points that are pretty important. Um, up until such point as the new uh, government measures were announced we have to keep in mind that we could only generate demand from point-of-sale Canada, so we had no up, uh, upside potential from currency from other points of sale. Uh, and you know, given the fact that corporate demand is also somewhat uh, uh, challenged at this time, we didn't have the potential for high yield. So setting that as a, a sort of a, uh, an uh, initial uh, uh, comment, when we look at the pricing environment in the international markets, um, the environment is, is quite stable, and I would say uh, the environment is competitive, but we are well set up to, to deal with uh, the VFR market. Uh, we have upsell opportunities, for example, into our premium cabins, and in generally, the pricing environment is, is quite stable. In the North American environment, it's a little bit different. If you look at when the, most of the domestic uh, competition started to enter the market, it really started in June. So when you look at the yield environment, you know at the early start of the second quarter, the environment was a little bit more stable, but as the competition really started to ramp up, uh, the pricing environment became a little bit more challenging in domestic Canada. The good thing is from that perspective, A, we're very encouraged because we know corporate demand will come back, we know we will get some uh, yield upside you know, from international connections, And at the same time, we we do have the right levers, and we do have the right tools to be able to manage our way through this. So, you know, through branded fares, we you know talked about Aeroplan uh, in uh, in our uh, you know early statements. The Aeroplan program is also providing um, very good opportunity for us on the yield side to be able to uh, you know monetize our premium cabins, for example. So. The environment is very competitive, but you know we're confident that we're well equipped to be able to uh, to deal with it.
5: Thank you. Uh, and then last one for me before I turn it over. Um, the fuel price seems to be obviously going up here. I mean, it's still the low uh, 2019 levels, I guess, uh, but it's kind of you know maybe it approaches there as as demand for jet fuel goes up. Uh, that's the expectation uh, by by energy markets, I guess. Um, I mean, from your perspective, um, I, I guess it's a good problem to have uh, as, as fuel price goes up, which means demand is going up. But, you know, historically, we have seen fuel being a, a challenge at times. So how do you like in this coming out of the COVID, how do you plan uh, to mitigate the fuel headwind potentially here? I mean, is, it, is pricing a tool or do you, do you kind of uh, reconsider hedging or is there anything you can change with suppliers? Uh, any thoughts there?
4: Ah uh, Con Um you know at this point, uh, you know certainly, it, as you mentioned, it, it's a little bit of a good problem to have uh, if we have increasing sort of fuel and demand and adding capacity back. But overall, you know we will manage this not through hedging at this point in time. You know it's a little bit uh, as we looked at that, hedging historically has been more of an insurance policy yeah. and you know to deal with the spikes in in uh, in fuel price. I think what the industry is seeing sort of over time as fuel price has increased, um, the industry has been able to push along fares to compensate for that. So we would not expect that that scenario or that uh, outcome would not be again repeated uh, going down the road.
5: Yeah, thank you. That's it for me. Thank you, guys.
0: Thank you. The following question is from Elaine Becker from Cohen. Please go ahead.
6: Oh, thanks very much, operator. Hi, everybody, and thank you very much for your time this morning. Um, so, I'm not sure who wants to answer this, but as you think about cargo going forward, I know the converted freighters are permanently in the mix now. Um, how should we think about cargo? Is this going to be a major revenue generator? I mean, historically not your core business, and yet you have a lot of opportunity, I would think, to really participate in the in the dedicated cargo business. So how, how should we think about that going forward?
2: Good morning, Helen. It's Mike. Um,
6: Hi, Mike. There's,
2: there's no doubt, it's, 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 like we said, it's a, a big part of our future it, it's, it, uh, for, from a whole bunch of different perspectives, Perspectives certainly diversification, You know, strong margins, um, and we're good at it. And, and we're going to get better at it, frankly. Um, so the cargo, the dedicated cargo uh, freighters are one aspect, but the other aspect that is equally, if not more exciting, is our entry into the e-commerce business under under a brand name called Revo, where we've uh, partnered with uh, last mile and first mile providers to provide you know point to point delivery, and and you know we're not expecting to replace. Uh, you know, major players in this area, but this market's growing, and we have this, the the, uh, the skills and the technology now to take advantage of that marketplace. So, long and answer to tell you that it's, it will be a more important part of our future going forward, um, you know, and I think we'll save, you know, to maybe to invest today as to what our expectations are, but certainly... Uh, we see the growth rate in cargo uh, exceeding well exceeding uh, what our what our passenger rate uh, might be, uh, but we're still going to be a passenger airline and um, and and you know o- opening up new markets uh, from a cargo perspective is going to be very, very important to us and an opportunity given given our brand and given given the strength of our management team.
6: okay, that's very helpful, Mike thank you and then. My other question is just related to um, how you're thinking about I know you're talking about bringing back capacity I guess as, as demand comes back is that is that how we should think about it so you'll you'll see demand and then you'll add capacity or you'll add capacity and then be price sensitive to, to gain the demand like I'm not sure how to think about how how to think about this Six Freedom Traffic and so on—that was such a big part of the business pre-pandemic. Hi,
3: Lucy. Maybe uh, maybe I can start, and if uh, uh, Mike wants to uh, to add, but um, since the start of the pandemic, um, you know, we had a a a very um, disciplined process here to try and understand the triggers that would inform us in terms of what the demand could be. So, you know, including. You know, observing what occurred in other markets when some restrictions were lifted, etc. And of course, you know, looking at uh, our own uh, advanced, advanced bookings, we developed uh, quite a few scenarios. So basically, now that we know that the restrictions have been lifted, uh, we had already planned for that. So we had a scenario where the capacity that we loaded uh, was based on you know, the, the existing uh, you know, booking velocity, but we were also prepared for the opening of the market. So, for example, you know, we could see it was evident that the sun market, for example, uh, you know, in the fourth quarter of the year would be very, very strong. So we we hedged our bets and we planned for that. We put the capacity in. So, you know, we're very disciplined, obviously, because it's it's in, important for us to, to, to be. Uh, but with the indicators we had, you know, we didn't uh, only. Focus on one option. We had several capacity plans, and as soon as indicators gave us confidence that these you know markets would rebound, we added. Uh, secondly, you know we talked about uh, strong VFR markets. So if you look at the makeup of our routes, you know we took some uh, risk, uh, which paid off. You know we introduced Doha, we introduced Cairo. These are highly VFR markets, uh, and we made sure that you know we had the right capacity into our our uh, partners' hubs. Uh, in order for us to be able to, uh, you know, do as you say, extract the most potential we could from six, you know, free to market. So as we move forward, now that the restrictions are open, we have another, you know, view of capacity. If things uh, materialize the way we think they may, we will be ready uh, to have capacity in the market. And, you know, this is for every service. You know, it's it's pretty clear that there are some areas that are, that are clearly showing some strength, and we've been able to, to jump on that pretty quickly and we will continue to do that. Uh, but at the same time, of course, we're very mindful of you know ensuring that we have a, a ramp-up that's uh, you know coordinated with uh, my colleague Craig here in the operation you know, to make sure that we can deliver on that and at the same time that we're mindful of cost. Uh, but uh, as you know, we do not like to leave a, a cent on the table. So as soon as we see uh, opportunity, we are... Uh, we are
6: ready to, to load. Thank you. That's very helpful. Thank you, Lucy. Thank you, Mike.
7: Thank you,
4: Ellen.
0: Thank, Thank you. Our following question is from Cameron Dirksen from National Bank Financial. Please go ahead.
7: Uh, thanks. Uh, good morning. Um, I guess just a couple of kind of outlook questions for me. One is just on the, the booking trends and, and specifically the, the domestic markets. Uh, certainly sounds like you know August uh, and peak summer is, is looking pretty positive for you. I'm just wondering if you can comment on what you're seeing in September, October, kind of past the summer peak. I mean, do you, do you see enough demand there in the, in the booking trends that will support kind of level of capacity brought back domestically in August?
3: Um, we're, we're actually very confident with the schedule that we have planned for for uh, the fall. You know, for September and beyond. Now. We're very excited because, obviously, you know this week, I mean it's the first week where we can actually observe new velocity based on the opening of the of the uh, restrictions. You know, early July, the hotel quarantine was removed, which meant that it gave gave us a little bit of opportunity uh, for returning Canadians that were coming back from abroad. Uh, so we saw an upside there, a bit of an uptick there. But as you know, the provinces also had pretty tight restrictions for travel within Canada. When that was lifted, we we you know saw a surge in, in uh, the domestic environment. So as it stands, we're we're confident with what we have loaded. And as I said earlier, if things uh, you know didn't uh, materialize exactly how we planned, we would have opportunity to redeploy or to right size. And we also do have a little bit of ability or flex to be able to add. Uh, but I, I will tell you. Uh, you know, this is probably the best week I've certainly had uh, in the in the last year. The early indications with the uh, easing of travel restrictions is very, very encouraging. Very encouraging.
7: Okay, no, that's that's great to hear. Uh, just second question, I guess, is somewhat related. Is just with regards to to business travel. Um, you know, I, I suspect you know we'll we'll see more uh, companies start uh, back with with uh, business travel in in the fall. Um, I'm just wondering if you have had any survey data or discussions with your with your corporate clients that you can maybe discuss that, or sort of give you some confidence in, in how business travel is going to start to recover uh, come September.
3: Yeah, so we did see um, just even for the month of June, we did see a little bit of improvement versus what we'd seen in uh, April and May, particularly in uh, in the domestic market, um, slight but some uh, improvement. We always assumed uh, two things, that perhaps in Canada the recovery would be a little bit later than what we were observing in the United States. So we always assumed that post Labor Day uh, we would see some returning of of business travel. We are encouraged because in fact, yes, in discussions with several of our agency partners or corporate accounts, there is a sentiment uh, where Corporations are now starting to talk about return to travel uh, for, you know, for, for business in, in the fall. Um, and also when we look at what's occurred in the United States, if you know, we overlay the ramp-up that they saw on the business uh, markets once restrictions started to ease and we overlay that you know, to our markets, we're thinking that by September, October, we will start to see some, some positive signs. We were also very encouraged uh, with uh, some of the restrictions that were put in uh, that allow actually uh, passengers who are really you know, traveling on very short haul destinations for very short periods of time, uh, that they can use the same test uh, pre-departure for their return or re-entry into Canada. And that's going to be meaningful also for those who are contemplating business travel to the United States, you know, New York, Boston, Washington, that kind of thing. So that's another positive indicator. Um, We really look forward to seeing the booking curve, you know, post-holiday to start to see how things uh, shape up for September. But definitely the domestic market will be number one, followed by, uh, you know, trans-border. The international routes, I suspect, probably will be similar to what we've heard from our peers. will take a little bit longer to to recover for uh, long-haul international.
7: Okay, no, that's great, uh, great detail. Thanks very much.
0: Thank you. The following question is from Kevin Chang from CIBC. Please go ahead.
8: Good, good morning, everybody. Thanks for taking my question. Um, maybe I would just ask a question on on, on Rouge. Um, you know, you you removed all the wide bodies. You know, d- during during the early parts of the pandemic. And, and, and it sounds like you know the VFR market's improving. I suspect you'll see some improving uh, trends on the international market as well. But I also suspect you know it'll take years before some of these border restrictions are fully removed. And, and I think, I, and I think, and correct me if I'm wrong. I think the, the the thought process was you could you could flow some traffic through hubs versus using point to point as you might have done with the old 767s. Are, are you seeing any apprehension from? From your, from customers in, in, hubbing in another country when, 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 when choosing uh, an international vacation spot, and, and does that change how you think about reintroducing widebodies, you know, b- back into Rouge to, to reintroduce those point-to-point uh, 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 options for for customers?
2: Good morning, Kevin. It's Mike. Um, no, I, I think we, um, you know, we made the conscious decision to exit the wide bodies from Rouge and to your point, flow the traffic through our partners, partner hubs, we see no reason at this point in time to change that strategy or change that direction, uh, full stop. Uh, you know, Obviously, we're focused on the narrow-body uh, uh, part of Bruges now. We'll be launching that in September uh, with a very strong ramp-up uh, to take advantage of all the sun traffic that Lucy spoke about uh, earlier. And so we think that is the... Key, uh, a key, a key differentiator for Air Canada, and, and an important part of our, our future growth. Again, I think uh, uh, on balance, uh, we will flow traffic internationally through through the partners hub, or through Latenza's hubs, and we think we can capture the majority of the traffic that we otherwise had uh, had flown
8: directly. Okay, that, that's helpful. And, and, and maybe just a second question here. Uh, maybe, maybe maybe the you just to. Just a follow-on on Cam's question there on, on corporate travel. I guess I'm trying to figure out, you know, when you're, when you're looking at the trends over the next, you know, few months and quarters, and you're talking about being a bit delayed with the U.S. because we 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 reopened a little bit later than, than the U.S. here in Canada. Is the feeling the, the ramp will be the same though? Uh, you know, when things start moving, or or is the feeling that the ramp might be a little bit Slower, just, it, it just feels like corporate Canada has been a little bit more cautious in bringing people back to work. So I'm just thinking through, does that mean they're a little bit more cautious in, in putting their employees back in the air as well as, as we start to reopen the economy further?
5: Uh,
2: Kevin, let, let me take that in because it's, it's a very interesting point. Um, one, we, we don't think the ramp up's going to be any different. And I think corporate Canada has to realize that they do have to get out to visit customers and clients uh, because the U.S. is doing that right now. And, and I, think, I think a lot of corner offices in Canada, uh, to Lucy's earlier point, are saying, you know, what are we missing here uh, now, that, uh, now that we're, you know, almost fully vaccinated or getting 700% vaccinated because uh, they do have to build business. And, you know, there's a lot of surveys and, and, and talk about how corporate travel will change over time. Uh, we certainly believe that, you uh, that, uh, traveling to see clients and customers will continue to be very strong. And, and there might be a, actually some pent up demand to do that once the market opens up and once, once uh, companies get back to, in, somewhat into their offices. Um, you know, obviously, internal meetings might have a, have a little bigger impact from, from the, you know, the virtual world that we've all been, you
9: know,
2: unfortunately, uh, been forced to, to utilize over the last little while. But we do believe based on our conversations with with many many corporate leaders uh, that uh, that kind of customer traffic uh, will will come back fairly strong
8: that's, that's, that's great color thank, thank you very much everybody have a great weekend.
0: Thank you. Our following question is from savvy Sites from Raymond James. please go ahead.
10: hey good morning everyone um, lucy I wonder if you could um share how you're thinking about the kind of the potential path and timing and to capacity restoration in the kind of the individual entities. I realize things are highly uncertain and you have several different plans, but just as you know it today, like how do you envision that that recovery in the the individual entities from
3: the capacity perspective I'm sorry I didn't
10: uh... a, a capacity perspective exactly
3: yes. okay um So, uh, when we uh, commented in our uh, introduction, we said that the the third quarter, we were expecting capacity to be approximately 65% uh, in in Q3, and um, you're highlighting a very good point, because in fact, we have to keep in mind that there are many ultra-long-haul markets that we do not plan to operate um, in the third quarter. So, for example, if you think of Australia, uh, we had a Significant franchise on China, and as we know, uh, you know, those markets for the time being, uh, we have limited capacity. So there's several markets like that, ultra long haul, that we don't have in the plan for the third quarter. Which means that uh, overall at 65%, um, there's a, a very large difference when you look at it from a North America perspective. If you look at domestic, for example, um, that would probably be uh, closer to a minus 40 range. And if you look at the acceleration, you know, between June, July, August, September, if you look at the ramp up, for example, on domestic or the Sun routes, uh, there's a pretty large acceleration. So there's no doubt that the two, or I would say the three largest sectors where the ramp up is fastest or, or largest would be the domestic U.S. and Sun networks. Uh, so you know, U.S. leisure, and then looking at Q4, the Sun routes, and then obviously followed by uh, the Transatlantic. And regrettably, the, the Pacific and uh, you know, Australia is, uh, is is somewhat delayed.
10: And along those lines, Lizzie, like when do you think domestic can get back to like pre-COVID levels, and and some of these other ones that are stronger today? Like, how long do you think that those can take to get back to pre-COVID levels?
2: Uh, I, good morning, sorry, It's Mike. Um, hey, Mike. You know, you know, to, to Lucy's point uh, we're seeing strong uh, you know market, strong return of uh, into those markets the Pacific and and uh, and to some degree South America are the ones that are lagging um, you know, we kind of see that probably in the back half of next year and That's and nice. that would be kind of where we you know when those two last components come back into play uh, we would you know our, our expectations we've come you know close if, if uh, you know to where we would otherwise be in pre-COVID levels
10: Got it. and and just one last question I'm curious with the trans border still you know I, I don't think the US has opened uh, the border yet I'm kind of curious what your point of sale mixes in, in the trans border and, and yeah. w- what component sure. is still missing I guess right
2: so, so just to com- just to clarify the land borders not open the air borders always been open and, and now it's easier to travel. Um, so, so there's no restrictions on air, uh, but there is still, uh, at least to August 21, uh, restrictions on, on land uh, for, for Americans. So uh, we're not seeing any constraints in our ability, and you saw that uh, very quickly when we announced uh, the, the expansion of our capacity in the U.S. on, on the Monday, this past Monday. Uh, and uh, we'll be entering that market with some aggressive marketing programs as well to to drive traffic makes
10: sense thank you
0: thank you our following question is from Walter Stracklin from RBC capital markets please go ahead
9: yeah, thanks very much good morning everyone so so um you you indicated that domestic is obviously coming back quicker but uh you know and there's been some interesting moves by your two you know, two primary uh, domestic competitors, and just curious as to, to to what your thoughts are on on how that might play out. And let's start with uh, with Porter. Porter having announced uh, what can only be described, you know, it's a, a very significant for them um, investment in in Embraer aircraft um, on the regional side, clearly making a push into uh, I- I- into the domestic market uh outside of their core uh Toronto Island airport, so into um into some of the more traditional airports. Just what what's your, your thoughts on on the competitive landscape, uh particularly with regards to Porter. I'll get back to West Gentile in a moment, but uh with regards to Porter and that effort on on their part to uh significantly expand their uh their their domestic fleet. Uh
2: good morning Walters Mike nice to hear from you. Uh it's a really fair question, um, uh, and certainly it has not gone unnoticed that uh, Porter has, has, is looking to expand. Now again, they're not going to start expanding until the second half of next year. Um, as you can appreciate, we can't uh, you know, speculate uh, on their plans, and we certainly welcome healthy competition. Um, but suffice to say, uh, we will be ready to uh, to deal with that situation uh, as as they start ramping up in the second half of next year uh, we have a lot of things to work with uh, starting with our Aeroplan program and uh, we um, you know we're confident uh, that one the competition will make us better and two that we'll be able to uh, to uh, to deal with it uh, in, effectively as as they ramp up their, their, their expansion and, and, the, and the same aspect with with flare as they expand, um, you know, a, a different a different set of uh, to some degree challenges. But uh, we uh, we internally and I obviously I can't com- comment on detailed plans, but we are all working on ensuring that uh, we get better and retain our market share uh, at a at a profitable margin over that period of time.
9: Makes sense. And though with WestJet, it was interesting that they uh, declined government support. Now, there could be, you know, one of two buckets of reasons. They're a private company. They didn't want to have any kind of limitations from a disclosure or or any other, you know, related factors. Or, you know, operationally they saw the restrictions that the government might, may have been uh, requesting as too onerous. Do you, do you see if it's that second bon- uh, bucket, uh, is there any risk here that, WestJet will be, have some more flexibility that you perhaps do not have um, given your decision to go with government support versus theirs not to, or, or do you see it more as a first bucket uh, type of uh, type of decision?
2: Yeah. Another fair question, but one which I really can't speculate on, uh, but let me give you the bottom line from our perspective, is that we believe there is, uh, we have the full ability to be, compete effectively. Uh, with the existing agreement in place. Uh, There is nothing uh, from our perspective that uh, restricts our ability to compete uh, very well uh, with with WestJet or any other domestic competitor or any other international competitor, frankly, uh, that that exists in in our current agreement with the government of Canada.
9: Perfect. Appreciate the the answers as always. Mike, uh, good to hear from you.
0: Thank you. Our following question is from Chris Murray from ATB Capital Markets. Please go ahead.
11: Good morning, folks. Um, just just thinking about as we're starting to get restar- uh, re- restarted and with bookings, um, you know, just the question about channels and the evolution. You know, we've seen uh, and kind of got lost in the pandemic, but you know, certainly uh, a lot of new programs. I'm just wondering if you could maybe give us some idea of how you're seeing, um, you know, passengers engage with you in terms of booking new travel. And and certainly how you think that the um, the travel agent channel may have evolved over the last little while.
3: Um, That's a a very good question. And um, certainly during during this time, you know, we've we've spent a lot of uh, of uh, you know time and and, uh, energy ensuring that our channels are the absolute best. uh, You know, where you can find Air Canada content, and same holds true. For travel agencies to be able to come to our direct channels as well, so um, many initiatives were put in place, you know, during the pandemic, you know, to continue to to improve our websites, you know, for both uh, general consumers B2B uh, and also B2C. Um, now, as we start to expand and uh, introduce new international markets, it's a given that, you know, for some of these markets, uh, you know, we have to be where the the, uh, the demand is, so um, we still have access obviously to all other channels, uh, but of course, you know, we, uh, you know, our preference is for customers to be able to come uh, directly to Air Canada or have agencies come directly to Air Canada where they can actually you know, see the full suite of products that we have to offer, the, the ability for customers to choose is best uh, you know, on aircanada.com. Uh, we also have, you know, upside potential with ancillary, et cetera, uh, in those direct channels. So we will con- con- you know, continue to, to do that, uh, but at the same time, you know, being very, very conscious that if, you know, some markets, uh, if the, you know, the channel captains are in other areas, uh, that we are, that we're there as well to make sure that uh, all our moots are successful.
11: Okay. Have you any seen any shift, though, in, in, in channel usage? Like, and, and I guess what I'm kind of... Interested in is is, has there been any significant damage to the um, to the agent channel such that you know you're going to end up with more traffic directly into 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 your into your direct channels?
3: Um, Well, the the distinction I would make there is, you know, we have a very good relationship with the travel agency community, and in in fact, you know, when the whole refund file uh, occurred, um, it was very important for us to make sure that the travel agency community was also. Considered in our, in our decisions. When we talk about direct channel, it doesn't only limit, you know, general consumers coming directly to our Canada.com. We also have a portal for our travel agents, uh, and, you know, we do encourage them to, to come through, uh, those uh, channels if, uh, if they can. So from a travel agency perspective, you know, we continue to work very, very closely with them. Uh, they've supported us through the pandemic. We're thankful for that. Uh, and at the same time, you know, as we, uh, you know returns to business uh, we are in, in contact with them of course to uh you know to make sure that we uh, capture our fair share of that uh, of that demand
11: okay fair enough um, and then just turning maybe to thinking about how um, you see the cargo business evolving. I did notice that uh, on the fleet plan you know you've got the two seven six sevens coming in in the second half um, but then you could also show that you've got the two three thirty freighters. Coming out. So, should we be thinking about um, you bringing those converted passenger aircraft back into passenger service, kind of on a one-to-one basis as the um, as the de- dedicated freighters come in, or is there some other way to think about this on a go-forward basis?
2: Uh, uh, good morning, Chris. It's Mike. Uh- no, uh, it, that's not really the alignment we're looking at. Uh, the, the growth of the eight freighters is independent of, of bringing back the converted freighters. The converted freighters are being, being bought, brought back because we've got demand in, from the passenger side, and we want to fill and we want to convert them back to, to full passenger. And so that's, re- that's really the, uh, the, the plan of attack.
3: And, and okay. as we uh, reintroduce these international markets, uh, then we are now opening up belly space for our cargo customers. Right. So some of it, you know... The freighters that are operating today are operating because there was no passenger demand. When the passenger aircrafts come back, we open up the belly space for, for cargo.
11: Okay. That sounds fair. All right. Thanks, folks.
0: Thank you. Our following question is from Hunter Kay from Wolf Research. Please go ahead.
7: Uh, good morning, everybody. Um, hey, Mike, how many planes ha- have you retired? Early and how many can you unretire if demand snaps back and the competitive environment ramps? And then, in the same vein, of the 50% of employees that you had to let go, how many are still available to come back, and how quickly can you bring those people back? Thanks.
2: Good morning, Hunter. Great, great, great question. Um, so we retired uh, 79 planes. Um, uh, the 25 or so uh, wide bodies for Rouge, and then some 190s that we were going to retire, frankly, in due course as the 220s came in, and uh, some some Airbus uh, narrow-body product as well, again, with, as a max were coming in as well. So with our current fleet configuration um, and what's in front of us from a, uh, a delivery perspective, committed delivery perspective, we can get back pretty close to where the uh, you know pre-COVID capacity was, and and so we're we're comfortable with, with our positioning from a, from a fleet perspective. Now, if if capacity does go up faster than we anticipate, you know we'll go hunt planes and we'll 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 find the. But again, there, we don't see a reason to do that at this point in time. But that would be a good problem to have from our perspective. On the labor side. Uh, we've been calling back people you know, already. I, I mentioned that we, we were calling back 2900 for June and July. We'll call back more for the for the fall season. Uh, we're finding everyone's coming back. Uh, we are not getting uh, we're getting virtually no you know no one saying well, listen I've f- I found something else and I don't want to come back. Our pilots, as you as you, I think as we talked about in the past, were never furloughed. You know we furloughed some small percentage, but the, all everyone else, the vast majority of them, were kept current. And so there's no issue from a pilot perspective uh, here at Air Canada, and as we bring back flight attendants and, and ramp workers and call center people and, and airport people, uh, we're getting uh, everyone to come back.
7: Okay, that's great. And then um, as we as we contemplate the the Transat deal that fell apart. Um, what's the upside of that deal not happening? You know, is there a lot of integration expense and pain that you were potentially preparing yeah. for Then now you can kind of reallocate those resources elsewhere? Can you get simpler? Um, but what, what good can come of that?
2: Yeah, I, I, think, I think you've hit the, the major benefit uh, in the fact that we are spending 100% of our time focused on Air Canada and all the opportunities we have in front of us. Uh, versus having a very complicated uh, potential merger and integration uh, added onto our list of things. It's not like you know, I think we're gluttons for for how much work we want to get done. And but but certainly uh, today, as we sit here today, you know this restart is is complex. And and I'm happy that our, this management team and this entire company is focused entirely on making this a complete success uh, for our customers and having Transat. Uh, although it might might have good long-term benefits to 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 overall overall for Canada for Air Canada, I think uh, would have been a very very difficult thing to uh, integrate at this point in time. Thank you, Mike. Good. Thanks, Anna.
0: Thank you. So that's all the time we had for questions. I would now like to turn the meeting back over to Ms. Zula. Zula,
1: thank you, everyone, for joining us on our second quarter call. Should you have any further questions, you may contact Investor Relations. Uh, have a great day. Merci à tous de nous avoir joints ce matin sur notre appel de deuxième trimestre. Pour toute autre question, vous pourriez nous rejoindre aux relations investisseurs. Merci et passez une excellente journée.
0: Thank you. Merci. The conference has now ended. Please disconnect your lines at this time. And we thank you for your participation.